0: What's up my friends, today's the day. Presidential hopeful Vivek Ramaswamy joins my channel to go over some of his controversies and face someone such as myself who doesn't actually believe him. I'm very impressed and appreciative that they still decided to do my show and take part in a real journalistic interview. Should be interesting, should be exciting. And at the end of the day in this great country, the United States of America, iron sharpens iron. God bless you guys. Dreamer podcast starts now. It's the Dream Rare Podcast. Welcome to the show. The way to get the news at the desk or on the road. Let's go. God is great and success in our control. The world is crazy, but we get better from obstacles. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of the Dream Rare Podcast. I'm grateful to have Vivek Ramaswamy join today. Thanks for being here. It's good to be on, man. Nice to meet you. And I wanna say I really appreciate and respect you for coming on um, because I talked to your team. I said that there's a lot of things that I don't believe and they still allowed you to be here and you came. So I really do appreciate and respect that.
1: Thank you, man. And my view is, you know, you shouldn't run for president and hide. And my job is I'm gonna tell the people who I am and what I stand for and whether they believe it is, you know, that's,
0: that's a free country, right? Everybody's free to arrive at their own opinions. And I want to tell you why I'm doing this too, because it's nothing personal, nothing below the belt. After 2020, right? I watched uh, the entire country, in my opinion, get bamboozled by our government and the pharmaceutical industry. We had 15 days to slow the spread. They extended it. They printed trillions of dollars, right? We pretty much threw out conservatism and libertarianism completely. And uh, at this moment, it's hard for me to uh, trust a pharmaceutical CEO to run the opposition party. Uh, especially after Donald Trump hired Alex Azar for HHS, who was an Eli Lilly lobbyist executive. Um, I, I wasn't thrilled with how our presidency turned out. So that's why, you know, I'm kind of bringing you here to ask a few questions. And can
1: I just say something at the outset about that, which is that honestly, part of the reason I'm here is that people like you were way ahead of where every GOP politician who's in this race for president included was when it came to, when we look back, how would we learn about doing things under the same circumstances again? It wasn't anybody, not Trump, not DeSantis, not me, not anybody in this field who would have done it the way that you know, I think a certain people out there, you're one of them who got it right. Now, I've had my issues where I've been right on and ahead of the pack on, but you got to recognize people who were first and I'm not going to claim to be something that I wasn't here. I think every presidential candidate looks back at that period, or at least should. (laughs) I'm man enough to say it, but to say that, you know what, there's some things we got wrong. We better not get that wrong again next time around.
0: Appreciate it. I want to get through to a few things. I know we have limited time, so I just want to read this quote. It's from your book, Nation of Victims, which I actually purchased on Kindle to make sure that it was legit. I didn't want to go off other sources. You know, you wrote, it was a dark day for democracy. The loser of the last election refused to concede the race, claimed the election was stolen, and raised hundreds of millions of dollars from loyal supporters and is considering running for executive office again. I'm referring, of course, to Donald Trump, where you compared him in that chapter to Stacey Abrams as a sore loser. Um, Do you still stand by that? So, and you read the whole chapter, right? Because that
1: entire line you read, that was the opening lines of the chapter. Where I said I'm, of course, referring to Stacey Abrams, right? So what and then I did that, 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 yep, Trump absolutely, well. absolutely. Yeah. I just want people to who haven't read the book to understand because everything is. I mean, there's a tone I'm bringing to this. Okay, I want to unite the country, and would I have handled the way that you know Donald Trump handled the lead up to January six? No, I would have handled it very differently. I've been very clear about things I would have done. I'm in this race for a reason, but my view is none of that was illegal, and I think where I have gone vehement in recent months on this in the last six months is when they then start prosecuting him for bad judgments. That changes my emphasis. Okay, my emphasis is on we can't be a country where the party in power uses police force to indict its political opponents, which is probably why I have been by far the clearest voice in the GOP that if I'm elected, I would pardon Trump. I think they need to drop the investigations now. I think this sets a dangerous precedent for our country. But that is different from saying that I would have done everything the same way that he did. And I think we've got to be able to draw those distinctions. I did at the time. In fact, I wrote an op ed in the Wall Street Journal, even before Nation of Victims, what well, was January 10th, or it was four days or so after what happened on January 6, 2021, saying that the reason that this happened was systematic censorship in the year leading up to January 6, 2021. Now, people ask me, "Oh, are you defending Trump's behavior? I said it at the time. I said, no, I think his behavior was bad on that day. I would have handled the situation really differently. But we've got to be able to draw those distinctions and say Trump didn't cause January 6th censorship did. Let's speak the truth. Does that
0: mean I applaud the way he handled it? No, I don't. And that's the way I draw these distinctions. Great. I, uh, I watched your D.C. Drano and Candace Owens interview, and when they brought it up, you said it was airlifted and satirical. I felt like you were misleading the audience trying to make them think that you didn't say it. I just want to read this here because my issue is not that you think that Trump's a sore loser like Stacey Abrams, or if you didn't, I'm just not sure which one you actually believe because in the book, I'm just going to read uh, another part. Yep. It says, so, so I was especially disappointed when I saw President Trump take a page from Stacey Abrams' playbook. His claims were just as weak as Abrams she claimed voter suppression, he claimed voter fraud, and you went on to say how his claims of voter fraud were ridiculous and you didn't agree with them. But then on Candace Owens' thing, you said that you did believe in ballot fraud and election fraud when they kind of tested you. So I'm just wondering which one is you, the one that you wrote a year ago or the one on Candace's show for for their audience?
1: Hey, so, so I'll be honest about this. I've been clear, if you read Also Woke Inc, the book before Nation of Victims, where I was clear about this, the form of election interference that I think changed the outcome of the election and I do think it changed the outcome of the election, was big tech's interference, okay? Search algorithms changing what did and didn't show up on Google searches. The Hunter Biden laptop story being systematically suppressed. Yes, I've been clear even since my first book in Woke Inc. that I believe that this actually is dangerous, changed the outcome of the election. Now, at the time I wrote Nation of Victims, I wasn't in politics. I'm not, I'm not, (laughs) I'm coming from the business world. I will say that over the last year, as people have, including some people in the conservative movement who are friends, have pushed back and have said, hey, listen up, here's actual data, hard data of ballot harvesting and otherwise, some of which was illegal. I am now persuaded that there was ballot fraud. I'm not yet persuaded that it was of a scale that we know could have changed the election result. So that's where I'm at now. And that's what I've said it all along at every step of the way. And, you know, just so people are aware of my background, I'm not a politician. OK, I came out of the world of business. I didn't come out of the birth canal spouting the standard Republican talking points. I right. come to my views with experience. If people present data, I'm always open to actually evolving my perspectives. But that's where I've been at. And so I've been so clear should, pretty much at every step
0: of the way. Just to be clear. Yeah. in the book is it, you mock Trump for believing in voter fraud on Candace's show. You said you believe there is ballot and election fraud, which like just a clear yes or no yeah. answer. Which one?
1: I believe that there was ballot and election fraud. I think we have clear evidence of that. But I have not seen evidence that it was of a scale that would have changed the election. And just to be clear, I challenge you back because I know you're, you're honest and it's a straight shooter as well. Read what I said in the book. Right. I think the line I used in the book was I have yet to see evidence that that would have changed the outcome of the election. I think that's the exact line I used. Now, here's what I also think is Stacey Abrams, and that's where most of my chapter was focused, is a sore loser who never accepted the outcome of that election. Neither did Hillary Clinton. And
0: can so I read the, I read gets, the book? Yeah, Real go for it. it said, yeah, yeah, he filed scores of lawsuits over various claims of fraud and was right, but they came nowhere nowhere close to changing the outcome in a single state, let alone the several swing states whose uh, yeah. he needed to overturn. In many cases, judges the president himself had nominated, ruled against him, a sign of our house uh, in, into our nation's constitutions. I, I want to just read this real quick. That's too, fair enough. Right. Yeah. So just take the words as they no, are. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, You know, Trump is kind of floating you for vice president. And I want to read another part of your book. I did read the whole chapter because I know you asked uh, Candace and Drano if they did and they didn't. So they didn't know what to say. But I I read it. Uh, You said Mike Pence, a man I have great respect for, decided it was his constitutional duty to resist the president's attempt to get him to unilaterally overturn the results of an election. Even in the face of the January 6th Capitol riot, our institutions did hold in the end, but they shouldn't have been tested. I don't mind that you wrote that. I think yep. that's totally fine. But obviously President Trump, I don't think would want a vice president that agrees with Mike Pence and what he did and most of the MAGA base wouldn't. So do you, so do you agree with that?
1: Well, I think I would have never put us in that position. So what I said, here's what I would have done post the election on November 4th, all right? And this is in the standpoint of being actually, let's say I'm in the position, I'm running for president, I'm not running for a vice president. But if you want to get the question of what would I have done in those shoes? I think there was an opportunity for heroism there, Okay, if you know that there was at least evidence of election integrity and security issues, fix that problem. You have the American Help America Vote Act. You have the American Confidence in Elections Act. Here's what I would have done. Single day voting on Election Day as a national holiday, pass the law, make it a national holiday. Get that on Trump's decks. Get that signed. Government issued I.D. to match the voter file and paper ballots with that. Here's what I would have said is on January seventh, we're declaring our run for re-election pursuant to an actual free and fair election. I think there's an opportunity for Congress to have set that minimal standard. That's not a tenth amendment violation. That's what I would have done. But I, I think it was a missed opportunity.
0: I, I hear what you're saying, but before I move on, because I want to get through everything, you know, yep. do you still have respect for Mike Pence and do you think he did the right thing on January 6th? Yes or no?
1: I've actually lost a lot of my respect for Pence over time. I mean, I think he and I have, have had some conflicts, I think, that have boiled over into the – we have different points of view. I think he's a good family man. I respect many aspects about him. But the truth of the matter is we should have never been in that position. Right, but, but we
0: were in that position. So yes or no – you never have a yes or no answer. It's always like a runaround. Well, I, I'm yes not, or no, do, would you have done what Mike Pence did if you I would, were
1: there? I would, I would have not done what Mike Pence did starting on November 5th of 2020. Okay, so if I'm vice president of the United States or if I were vice president of the United States, then it's not like I would be helicoptered in for a one day job. If we're starting from when the election even moves on forward, it was a missed opportunity to actually heroically reunite this country. And by the way, I would have done it differently than Donald Trump did it too. pass that through. Say, you know what? We're going to be a leader. We're going to have free and fair and secure elections going forward. That's going to be my last act as U.S. president. And on January 7th, I declare my reelection campaign pursuant to an actual free and fair election, which, by the way, we don't have single day voting right now. We still don't have paper ballots as the standard. And I think that was the window that we could have used to get that right. But that ha- doesn't have to be the only window. I'm running for president because I do want to get a lot of these issues right to reunite the country. And I know you're skeptical, AJ, and you should be, but I'm. my job is to tell you who I am and what I believe. Have I always held those beliefs? My, I'm at where I am right now because that's a product of my own experience. I'm an got outsider you. to politics. I got so you. I'm not somebody I'm... who's reciting talking points at you.
0: If you guys are gonna cut me off, I really do wanna get through all the questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's get through point. the questions, yeah. Yeah, so ahead. I appreciate you, thank you. Um, with the Soros scholarship. So can you explain that cuz it's a a lot of people are misconstruing it and they're saying it was George Soros, but it was actually Paul and Daisy yep. Soros. It was his brother, they call him the Invisible Soros in some news things and you got a scholarship. Was it was in 2011 to go to law school 2010, from, yep. From uh, when I applied for it. Paul and Daisy Soros. So what have you been telling people about that cuz obviously a lot of people are skeptical.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, look, I'd say my advice to everybody is be skeptical of anybody who's who's telling you anything when they're running for office. Here's the facts. I was 24 or 25 years old in the fall of 2010 when I applied on a Friday is when I heard about it. The deadline was Monday. There was classmates who said, oh, there's a scholarship. First time I heard about it, but you know, 50,000 bucks, I'm not gonna turn that down. In my early 20s, filled out a scholarship application over the weekend. The funder of it, the main funder, not George Soros, but Paul Soros. It's his brother right. who made his money independently, who by the way, now is long dead who funds the scholarship. It's a generic scholarship, hundreds I mean, of kids I mean, him
0: dead doesn't matter, though. It would be saying, like, I took a, he's dead. Now. It's like, you asked
1: me, you asked me to, you asked me to let you finish. So you know, I'm going to, sure. I'm going to ask for the same courtesy. If you, you asked me to explain it, the guy is long dead. Cause I think the big question that comes up is who's the boogeyman pulling the strings. And, and, and so the answer is, I, I think it's relevant to know this guy's long dead, made his money independently, has different, totally different background from George Soros as well. But nonetheless, I wasn't even paying attention to this. I, I couldn't have told you what, jo- what George Soros' ties were, let alone George Soros. Why well, I-, I wasn't paying attention to him at a guy, a different guy named Paul Soros is funding the scholarship at the age of 24. I would have had to be an idiot, a fool to turn down a merit scholarship that you win to help pay for graduate school as hundreds of other kids win generically. And I'm honest about that. That's what exactly what I did. Were there strings attached? No, there weren't. Now the reason I also bring these other facts up, because I think it's just important for people, skeptical people to stay skeptical, is that I have no tie to George Soros other than criticizing him. There are other candidates who have tied to George Soros. I mean, George Soros's investment partners have hosted fundraisers for other prominent Republican candidates in this race as recently as June. Ron DeSantis, George Soros has praised other candidates in this race. That's not me. Has praised other candidates he want to see as the Republican nominee. That's not me. There's candidates in this race who have received multimillion dollar hundred plus million dollar loans from George Soros. That's not me. Trump. I'm not saying that to disqualify the other candidates. But I am saying that when people get a lot of information, yes, be skeptical, but be skeptical where it's coming from, too. And for right. my part, I, yes, I'm honest about it. I took a 24 year old scholarship in the year 2010 from a guy who's related to George Soros. You know, if that's going to stop somebody to say they shouldn't vote for me, that's their decision. But I think that anybody who would have turned that down should not be allowed anywhere
0: near the White House doing trade deals on behalf of this country either. Uh, you say you're being honest. I heard two interviews I quoted you. You said, when I didn't have the money and back when I didn't have a lot of money to do it. Those are direct quotes from you. Uh, Fox Digital News did a report and they said that the, uh, the year that you took the award yeah. from Soros, you had- $2.2 million that year and a million do- over a million dollars for I, three years total. So Can I address you, the facts? Do you really need the money or, or are you just saying that?
1: Well, let me address a couple of facts right there. So how do people know that? One thing they should know is it's because I did something that no presidential candidate has ever done. And I was aware of what I've said and when I've released it, we published 20 years of tax returns. Nobody who's running for U.S. president has published 20 years of tax returns, certainly not somebody who's been successful in business. And the reason is I believe transparency is important. That's, an, I, I would love for every other political candidate to do that. None of them do it because they want to hide So I voluntarily, in the early weeks of this campaign, put that on the Internet for everybody to see. Anybody who on your show who's visiting media or anybody else can see it for themselves.
0: Now, if you want to interpret
1: that correctly. So let me just tell you, if you want to get to the facts. I mean, I don't think these facts matter at all. But if, if you care about them, I'll go into them. Fall of 2010, I applied. My first major payday at the hedge fund I was working for was the year end bonus I got in 2010. And then my real big payday then came in 2011. So at the time I applied for that scholarship, yeah, I didn't have. My parents, no, me, no, had not earned big-time money. So the fall of 2010 when I applied, absolutely. Now, at the year-end 2010, December 31st, for people in the finance industry, that's when you know that was a biggest paycheck by an order of magnitude I've ever gotten. And then 2011, it just kept going up from there. But the other thing I'll say is to anybody else who's young and receiving advice, even if you have a million dollars in the bank account, and somebody gives you a $50,000 scholarship, yeah, take it. Don't take it if there's strings attached and they say you can't say certain things, turn down that money. But yeah, if you have a million bucks and somebody gives you 50 grand more and you earned it, go for it and take it too. turns out, though, that (laughs) that wasn't even the position I was in. It was the following year, and you want to match up the tax returns, do the facts right. The reason I've done it is so that everybody else has full transparency. And So I just think it's important that people understand that.
0: Well, just real quick before we move on, the Fox Digital News report says you made a, over a million year, a uh, million dollars three years prior. And then that year you made two point two. So I mean, if you say, you know, if you get free money, take it. That's one thing. If you say, I don't have the money, uh, that's fair. Well, to tell you the you truth, compared the to money, where I am you're right now, it, you're no, I mean,
1: put yourself in the I mean, it wasn't a need based scholarship. It's a merit scholarship. But I say that, you know what? I, I am wealthy now, OK? I was not wealthy by the standards that I used to judge that back then. And yes, $50,000 meant a heck of a lot to me when I was 24 years old. All right. I can't you can look up my tax returns post tax the way you accumulated. I earned a few hundred thousand dollars. Yes. Leading up to that, did it become millions later and hundreds of millions later? Yes, it did. At the age of 24, it wasn't 50,000 bucks meant a lot to me. And I was smart to take it. And I would advise any other young person to do the same thing.
0: Cool. Yeah. Before we move on to, I just saw this. This was on the Paul and Daisy Soros website. They were bragging about you pursuing the potential of abandoned pharmaceuticals. That guy right there, they said that he he had contacted you because he saw you on the Soros website. And there, this is, I believe, Axovant, which is the four times failed drug that you bought from GlaxoSmithKline. And then it, that large IPO that they're bragging about, it actually caved, right? It went from like $200 stock to like a 35. Yeah, you,
1: want me, you want me to just tell you about that whole experience? Cause I, I can, I, I can, I would, it later. I, we
0: just, I, I'm down to talk about it later since I'm kind of in a rush. If you guys aren't going to give me as much time, cause I have a lot of stuff to get through. So do you want to move on? And then we can talk about XOVANT later.
1: Yeah, where, wherever you want to go, man. And my, my yeah. job is, I, I I love the skepticism. All I say is to everybody, be skeptical of what anybody's feeding you. Get to the actual facts. And so I'm right. happy to talk about that too.
0: So I, I want to read this tweet real quick. It's from 7 uh, 9 Understandable, right? Things are changing, et cetera. You said, wear a mask equals personal responsibility. It's puzzling when conservatives oppose it. Um, so, you know, you were kind of pushing the mask thing. And I've heard interviews where you said, you know, that was just the libertarian in you. You know, is that your stance on that, that you were so libertarian that you were shaming conservatives for not wearing masks? I have a couple of things to say about it.
1: One is, I think every Republican politician who's running for president, certainly has said something about the covid policies in the last in the early phases and over the last several years that we all look back and cringe at. I do. (laughs) I cringe at that right now. I'm man enough to admit it. I think some other people aren't. But that's a fact. Now, I will tell you what happened in early 2020. I think you probably remember this. Other people should, too. The government literally was telling people not to buy masks. Anthony Fauci was saying it. My wife, she's an airway surgeon. They're telling her in the hospital, you know, you don't want to wear 95 masks around. So if the government's telling you not to buy a mask, yes, my native instincts do kick in. And I go in the other direction of any time somebody tells me to do something, sometimes that gets the better of me and that did get the better of me there because I look back at that now and I cringe well I've been I, I identified as libertarian when I was 19 years old when I was in college I have libertarian instincts that are solid in me today I voted for the libertarian candidate in 2004 the first election I voted in so yeah I have I don't like labels they, they don't mean a lot to me but I have strong libertarian instincts
0: do you think that because I saw you say in another interview that that was your libertarian instinct where you said if the government says don't buy them I say that's part yeah buy them. And-
1: my anti-government instincts definitely kicked in and informed my views of saying that you know what if the government's going to say this i'm going to do the opposite however we now know that those were ineffective the other thing i just want to be clear on because i've heard a lot of people spew nonsense about this i've never once been on record favoring a mandate of any kind in fact i'm dead set against them vaccine mandate et cetera. i'm a medical choice absolutist even when it comes from right to try which I've advocated for is the only person in the pharmaceutical industry who is open enough to say it. People should be able to try medicines that haven't yet been approved, but people shouldn't be forced to take anything that has been approved either.
0: Yeah, I got you. So you said that on July 9th, right? Um, On April 3rd, Fauci said that Americans should wear masks on June 5th. I mean, for months, the government had been telling people to wear masks. With the libertarian instinct, what I'm curious is, how did your libertarian instinct kick in to make you pro masks just when they were briefly telling you not to buy them, but your libertarian instinct didn't kick in when it came to the government uh, pharmaceutical vaccine. You you seem to say very generic stuff about that as far as you think everyone eligible should take it. You wrote in 2022 in a Wall Street Journal op-ed that you thought it was the most important part of the pandemic. Uh, so so, wh- so you, where was your libertarian you, instinct then?
1: Yeah, just so you're aware. I mean, I, and you if you read that op-ed, I know you know this. I just want to make sure your audience does too, to be fair to everybody listening. That was an op-ed that got criticized like hell by the establishment because it called for letting it spread. You know what the title of it was? You, you If you have it in front of you, you may remember it better than me. Right, Let I got Let us, what was the title?
0: uh, Slow the spread, speeding it may be safer. And real quick, this is a direct quote. Slow the spread question mark. Speeding it may be safer was exactly the title of the piece. And I'll give you some time. It says the most important step in fighting the COVID-19 pandemic was the distribution of vaccines. I mean, I don't think that's true.
1: Yes, I I, I agree with you. Now that we know about the myocarditis risks, which I think is what actually gives me great pause about this. But what I will say is just to, and I I know you like to be a straight shooter, so be a straight shooter with your audience. That article, 1200 words of it and the title of it says slow the spread question mark. No speeding. It may be safer was an argument for actually letting the Omicron variant spread and rip at a time when they were actually imposing lockdowns and mandates. So I'm not going to say that everything that I or any other Republican politician at every step of the COVID-19 pandemic, what they've said was right. But I definitely have been far more on the side of opposing any mandate And also even someone arguing. I remember the heat I took for writing that arguing for letting it rip. I think I was one of the few Republican politicians to actually take that stand. And so there are other areas. That was was
0: 2022. Pretty much everyone was doing at that point. But I'm more interested in your libertarianness kicked in with the mask thing. Yeah, for, for but like, why didn't it kick, Why didn't your libertarian instinct, your anti-government instinct, you have an 18 billion dollar socialist scheme called Operation Warp Speed, where the government owns part of the Moderna patent. and I believe one of your companies is even suing for like lipid for, nano. Nanopart- for they lied about it. Yeah, lipid nanoparticle. Mean, they yeah. lied about a lot. Those companies have. But that's what I'm like. You know, we can move on. But I'm just. I wondering, think Operation
1: like, Warp Speed, in retrospect, was an example of crony capitalism. And I despise crony capitalism, whether it's electric vehicle subsidies, whether it's picking favorites among people who manufacture vaccines. I believe that we should rescind the special liability protections that apply to vaccine manufacturers. Nice. Those are my policy positions. And I think that that's really important. And Reagan is actually the guy who implemented that. Does that mean I think Ronald Reagan's a bad guy? No, I don't. But that doesn't mean everything he did was heroic either. And so I think part right. of what we've got to do is understand that everybody, me, Trump, Reagan, DeSantis doesn't matter. We're human beings. We're doing our best. I believe in everybody's acting in good faith, doing their best to advance this country for things that we've said in the past on different sets of facts. You know what? I haven't been right about everything in my life. Neither has any other politician. Maybe neither has any other human being. But there are certain areas where I've been well ahead of the curve that nobody else was talking about it from where the climate agenda is to where the racial woke agenda is, long before people were talking about it. Those are areas where I was on the bleeding edge. I'll give credit to people like you who were ahead on uh, spotting the risks of the COVID policies on vaccines in particular. Yeah. Can Most I just probably, we just gotta quick, be right to move it forward, though.
0: The, I didn't even finish college. I mean, I'm not stupid. I dropped out to pursue my career, but in general, wh- I believe it was a third grade math equation, a lot of this stuff. So why do you think I was able to figure it out, but not you, not Trump? I believe it was because at the time you were working in the biotech pharmaceutical industry so that's what you were doing you were focused on sucking up money advancing your company you weren't really concerned with what we were dealing with or the truth about it because if i can do it with a calculator i think you could have done it or trump could have done it but trump hired uh, alex azar a pharmacy executive lobbyist trump took a million dollars from pfizer trump had meetings with bill gates in 2018 where bill gates told him about modernizing flu vaccines and in 2019 before the pandemic trump passed an executive order for that so i don't I don't think that i'm so smart that i just had the foresight i think that i actually care and trump was being a politician that i believe sold out to big pharma and i think you were working with big pharma so i don't i don't think i had insight i just think you care now because hey. you're running for president
1: no i mean i think everybody wears their different hats and has their perspectives of what they're focused on i was in the middle of writing woke inc which is my first book i was not writing a book about the lockdown policy so where i was going deep was on the woke industrial complex as it related to corporate america Keep in mind, I had just stepped down from my job as a biotech CEO precisely because I had to make statements or on behalf of Black Lives Matter, as every biotech CEO was browbeaten to do. I refused to do it. And yes, I have made sacrifices to advance my own convictions. That was a real trade off. You take a big trade off, but you want to speak your mind openly. That was the area where I was most focused at the time, but paying attention to what was going on because I wasn't a policymaker. But all I would say is, you're right. Your criticisms of me, your criticisms of Trump, be even-handed. I mean, Ron DeSantis has called Ron DeSantis, called Fauci during that period. And I respect him for changing his mind, but called him a really, really, really good job and really, really good ally. Every Republican politician who's running for office has made some cringeworthy statements about COVID and should be held to account for it. Right. For my part, I'm willing to be man enough to actually say it. And I, I wish that other people should too. And the only way we're going to do it is by setting an example. So I'm not I'm, perfect. I'm going to say I'm, that honestly.
0: I'm even handed on it. I promise you. I want to say too, with yeah. you stepped down as a chairman in uh, 2023 from your pharmaceutical company, right? In 2023? Right before I ran for president is when I stepped right. off the board. the board I stepped 20- down as CEO in January of 2021. Okay, but you were on the board in 2023, right? Before you I was one pre- of the one of the ten board members or so. Yeah, and in 2022, your company partnered with Pfizer that, to create a new company, correct?
1: Yeah, there was. I mean, the whole business model of the company I founded was to pick up drugs that other companies had abandoned or left behind. And so there's one deal of some drug that Pfizer was developing that Roivant took over some rights to. I was right. on the board not involved with it but you know there was a separate deal that the company had done with pfizer longer ago back when i was ceo too it's probably about a 200 deals the company has done it's a licensing business and right so that's exactly how it worked
0: yeah not not my favorite company but i understand that's the <laughs> not mine clear. either not mine um, either in 2021 in august or august 21st i'm sorry i'm sorry august 15th 2021 You said, well said, George Soros. I consider Mr. Jeet the most dangerous enemy of open societies in the world. And you pretty much just shared and co-signed his Wall Street Journal op-ed. So my question to you is, now that you're running for Republican president, do you think tweeting, well said, George Soros looks good? And also, when you say enemy of open societies, George Soros' worldview of open society is a worldview I don't subscribe to. So what do you think that means?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so you know what? Probably doesn't sound good. But, you know, what? in that narrow instance, I actually do stand by it because I think Xi Jinping is the greatest threat that we face and we got to wake up to it. Communist China is the number one threat that we face. And so, I, yes, think about this. Right. I've already published Woking. Put yourself in my headspace because this actually allows people to understand what's going on. I've been critical of George Soros heading into that. But even if George Soros is going to say something in the Wall Street Journal at a time when Republicans are still bending the knee to Xi Jinping, and he says Xi Jinping is the greatest threat to free societies. And you know what? I purposely I knew what I was doing. I said, open, that even this
0: guy, not yeah, free societies, open societies, which is the name that, of his that's the name of, of
1: that's the name of his article. Yeah. And I posted it on Twitter. And I said, well, said, because you know what? Xi Jinping is the biggest threat we face. And so just because somebody I disagree with vehemently on a lot of issues Because they say Xi Jinping's bad, that's not going to make me say Xi Jinping's good. I actually think it's a good thing in this country if we get to a place where both Democrats and Republicans wake up to the fact that communist China, not the USSR, which doesn't exist anymore, which is why I'm against the war in Ukraine. I think we have a foreign policy establishment in both parties that has its head in the sand. And yes, anybody in the United States who recognizes that China's the top threat we face, that we have to cut the cord on dependence and our links. Yeah, even if I disagree with them on everything and I've been critical as I have, you know what, I'm still gonna speak the truth when it comes to whether, and I don't care whether that looks
0: good or not. It's exactly what I'm gonna do. I wonder why Soros feels that way, it's interesting. But I wanna say, if like DeSantis or Mitch McConnell, if they had done business in China before they were in office, do you think like people have a right to have a red flag and be like, is that, what are they doing there? Well, I think, yeah, absolutely. And to be honest with you, I have I wrote my whole
1: book, Woke Inc. I go through the experiences of my first business, major business, at least that I founded. I did do business in China. I see how ugly it is. You can't do business in China if you're critical of the CCP. Honestly, for any business, if they criticize the United States, they roll out the red carpet. So I started my second major business, Strive. It's an asset management firm. I don't know if you know much about Strive, but it competes with BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard by rejecting the ESG orthodoxy. I did something that no major U.S. asset manager has ever done. I made a day one commitment that Strive would never do business in China. And as I said at the beginning, man, I came to my views because of my experiences. I did not come out of the birth canal spouting Republican talking points. Even in my 20s, I really wasn't particularly political, but I came to my views, especially on China, because of my experiences. And so, yes, I talk about that openly, which is why I've been the most vocal CEO against China and in favor of cutting the cord of probably any CEO in the United States. And I challenge you to find one who's been even more vocal than me on it.
0: Speaking of BlackRock, uh, Newsweek reported recently that while you've been uh, openly vocal against ESG policies, that Roy Vaughn, your company's major institutional investors, include Morgan Stanley, Viking Global, and BlackRock, the very firms he criticizes, are amongst his largest stakeholders, owning yeah. over 500 million shares in your it's company. It's hilarious, right? So, so you want to know? It is. It is, yeah. It, it,
1: and the, the thing that makes it hilarious is that people have to know how the system works, right? Don't be duped by anybody. You want to know why BlackRock's the top shareholder of every American company that's publicly listed? The company I founded is listed on the stock exchange. Well, you want to know the way it works is BlackRock, State Street and Vanguard automatically own your companies, whether or not you have a choice in the matter. You don't choose your shareholders as a public company and you want to know what's even more broken about it. People should know this. Your own retirement accounts, your own investment accounts are being used without your knowledge to vote for toxic policies in corporate America's boardrooms. So I've written two books. My most recent one this year, Capitalist Punishment, lays this out. This is a problem. It's a big problem when you have three institutions that are automatically the top shareholders of every major public company in the US. If you take your company public, you don't have a choice in the matter. That's how the game works. And if you have a 401k account, you don't have a choice in the matter. Your money is gonna be used to actually vote for those toxic agendas. But I'm the only person, in corporate America or in capital markets who actually started an asset management firm to compete and take that down. And I also believe in succeeding. It cost a billion dollars in assets under management within a single year. That's twice as fast as it took for JP Morgan to get there. And so that's how I roll. And so I just think that it's important for people to understand this. These are great questions. I believe in uh, providing alternatives in the market and winning. So, calling me part of Big Pharma or part of BlackRock is like calling Rumble part of Big Tech. And I say this as also somebody who backed Rumble early on to challenge Big Tech back when it was a private company. So, I believe in winning through the market, not through staying out. I believe in staying in, providing alternatives, and winning. But yes, that yeah. was my background, not politics before I made my run.
0: Right. Speaking of staying in the market, this is you, I think, in Beijing. Right. Yep. You, were, you were at a conference in Beijing a couple of years ago. I Before think it was 20- we pulled out. That's right. Yeah. And, 2018 and I used for a reason. Yeah. Did you partner with the Chinese government to advance Chinese biopharmaceutical research abroad?
1: Back in when I was did business in China, the way you do business in China is you have to do what's required to be able to. Whether you're BlackRock or Nike or Airbnb or any other company, that's the way it works. When I started seeing the risks firsthand, and I wrote about them in my book, Woke Inc., everybody should read about it, those firsthand experiences led me quietly in my biotech business to lead out of China. But more importantly then when I started my next business, Strive, I made a public commitment that no U.S. asset manager has ever made. And I have been the single most vocal CEO in America against U.S.-China ties in business precisely because I have seen it. So, yes, it's my experiences that got me to my views. And there's a reason why I'm the only CEO or person who's been a CEO who's able to say it because right. everybody else who still has business interests in China is not free to speak about it or else they lose their access to the Chinese market. And, and you know, as you know, we were, I know we were already a little bit over, but I want to be, you know, respectful because I love the way that people on the outside should be skeptical of every politician. My yeah. job is to show up and actually speak candidly. Can I do two
0: more questions or no? We're, we're about
1: 10 minutes into the next guy, but I also, if you want to go quickly, I also respect yeah. you and I want you to be able to, to get Thank those off you. your chest.
0: Yeah. So with Axovent, your company that was the largest IPO, I believe, in the biotech pharmaceutical world of all time, yeah. it said uh, your mother and your brother who are physicians were on the uh, in the company. And I saw you on Mad Money. You kind of hyped it up. One of the things I noticed about you is you're a really good speaker, right? And I think that that probably came in handy with Axovant because it was a four-time failed drug that you bought and you used a trial that I believe your mom was on. So I, no, I don't know if I would call dead it that.
1: Yeah, I can, I can actually give you, these are all hard facts that uh, are in the public domain for the last eight years, but I can, I can walk you through
0: it. Well, yeah, this also, is important did, I've, you, I've, did you buy a, a drug that failed four times and did you hype it up to a bunch of investors and did your stock get to $200 and break IPO records and did it fall to 35 cents because what you were selling didn't match reality? That's the, my question.
1: A lot of that was inaccurate. Some of it's accurate, some of it's sure. inaccurate. Correct. So, so, so people know, because again, people deserve facts, right? Make your own judgments, but have the facts. I founded a company called Roivant. The whole premise of the business model was to develop drugs that pharma had abandoned because pharma's badly broken. We developed a number of medicines. One of them early on was a drug for Alzheimer's disease. We put it into a subsidiary. It's what we did for all of the drugs. That subsidiary was axivant Ninety nine point seven percent of drugs ever tested for Alzheimer's disease have failed. Mine was one of them, one of thousands of drugs. It also failed. Now, when that company went public, I had and Royvent had an opportunity to sell shares in X event before the failure. We did not. That's actually remarkable. And that's actually where a lot of straight up falsehood in the last. You can look it up. Public filings, everything else. Not a dime could have made a lot of money. Didn't because the long run business model is, if I'm going to put my skin in the game, we lose first. We don't sell before the failure that other people are left holding the bag. So the person who was hurt by that was me. But
0: well, I, can I, I just say real quick, yeah, back, absolutely. Yeah, your your net worth is almost a billion dollars, which is great. It's a capital. And society. you know how I got there? But Let me just. But, just, no, but no, no. real quick, I'm just saying you have a bunch of shell companies. So when that one fails, you act like it hurt you so bad. But- it did hurt. Launching that into the public uh, allowed you to, I mean, you were in China with Cenovant, you were working with the yeah. NIH, according to- But yeah, you want
1: facts, man. You don't want to yeah. buy somebody else's narrative that they fed you either. So, so literally, in the last weeks, they said, oh, Vivek, soldiers, that's just false. You can look it up, exactly not a dime. Now, how did I succeed? After that, we developed five medicines that are FDA-approved today. One of them is a literally life-saving drug in kids. 100% of kids die with a genetic disease by the age of three. I worked on a therapy where a majority of those kids now live lives of normal duration when they're treated. One is an approved drug for prostate cancer. One is for endometriosis, uterine fibroids, psoriasis. Those are helping people. That's how you make money through capitalism, and we shouldn't apologize for it. That's how I made my money. I could have made money off of selling those shares, did not. And so I just think that people, many people, you know what, who are closest to it might even go so far as to call it honorable. Okay, I don't want to call myself that. But people who are closest to it understand that that's what other people in that position may have done in the past. Not me. And so I just think it's important that people have actually hard facts because we live in a world where, you know, people can say anything on the Internet. And I believe in a free Internet. The answer to bad speech isn't censorship or less speech. It's more speech, which is why I'm showing up on platforms like yours to be able to bring more speech to the table.
0: Last question real quick, I'll let you run. Sure. Thank you so much. Uh, it says the dossier by Jordan Schatzel reported that Ramaswamy's company pitched governments uh, to install a universal COVID patent patient record surveillance database and that you established a partnership with the NIH trying to, um, you know, put all COVID records and testing yeah. records into a single spot. Is that true with your company data
1: So a company that I founded, Royvent, spun out and owns 10% of. So it's, it has other investors and own 10% of as of today compiles health, yeah, there's like a tokenized system through the blockchain. I'm not close to it. I'm not on the board of it, but it was a company that Royven spun out, was matching a lot of health records. I will say one thing though, and nothing ever came of that particular project, but that was one of the things that apparently somebody at the company. Yeah, yeah I God. mean, I'm not like I'm many steps removed or far away. So I I can't even tell you what exactly it was. I know about as much of it as what you read as well. But what I will say is, If we do have a place where we can get decentralized, because this is something that I favor. I'm a big proponent of cryptocurrencies. I'm a big proponent of blockchain. I'm a big proponent of Bitcoin. If we get to decentralized information that anybody can access on an anonymized basis in any field, I think that the government doesn't control it centrally. That's actually a good thing. Okay. And so DataVent was using blockchain-based approaches to decentralize healthcare data. I don't care if it's tech data, healthcare data, financial data decentralize it stop any government from squatting on that and if you actually have that kind of system the next time around the government tries to lie about data relating to whatever it is lockdowns vaccines or otherwise i do believe that blockchain-based distributed data is a good way of protecting ourselves against the lies that the government tells us so that hopefully gives you a sense of where we're i'm at on that set of
0: questions yeah i don't think that's what that was doing but i hear what you're saying uh i appreciate
1: you thank you so much thanks for staying over time i appreciate that a lot I, right, I respect, bless. I respect the skepticism and that's what we need more of. And I encourage it, man.
0: So take thank it easy. you. Thank God you. bless. Hope you come back. Thank you. Hey, what's going on, my friends? Just a few ways to stay in touch and support if you'd like to. The first way is DreamRare.com. We have blue beanies, black beanies, pink hats, other colored hats, freedom versus tyranny shirts, Stay blessed, Long Sleeve. God is great, Long Sleeve. And lots of more cool items coming soon. DreamRare.com. Check out the shop to support. Everything's made in the United States. Handpicked by me. Patreon.com slash RareTalk for $5 a month. You can help support me. Support the show. If you haven't noticed, unlike other channels, I don't work with very many sponsors. Sometimes none at all. And part of the way I'm able to do that is with the DreamRare.com shop and Patreon.com slash RareTalk. So thank you guys for keeping the show free. Unimpeded. Uninterrupted. I'm forever grateful. My free email list is stayintouchwithme.com, so check the links below in the description or just type in on any browser stayintouchwithme.com, all one word, you'll find my email list, put it in there, and it's the least annoying email list you'll ever be on. I barely use it because I don't like getting emailed every day or every week, it's annoying. So I don't do it. Stay in touch with me.com. It helps me take back some power away from big tech. Telegram t.me slash dream rare chat or at dream rare chat. Due to censorship, I post all my live stream and videos there. Sometimes I have some bonus content and I try to give people a heads up when Facebook or YouTube won't. DreamRare Chat at Telegram. My Instagram is at dream rare. Thanks for everybody following there for shorter content. And DreamRareLinks.com. links.com, that's dreamrarelinks.com, has all my stuff, my podcast on Spotify. Apple, Apple Podcasts, my music on Spotify and Apple, my Rumble page, my Bitshoot and Gab page. All my links are found at DreamRareLinks.com. Thanks for watching, folks. God bless you. You already know I'll be back with more content soon. Appreciate you.